we want to open back up to Matthew chapter 10 and look at some more things there as we've been trying to go through each chapter. Last time we kind of looked at Matthew chapter 10 and we got started looking at the calling of the apostles. We talked about the apostles and who were called and uh, we kind of talked about each one of them briefly. We talked about the kind of stipulations that Christ gave his apostles when he called them here, as well as the stipulations he gave the 70 disciples at the same time um, that we're assuming about what to carry, what not to carry, how to go. And we talked about maybe the, uh, the temporariness uh, of this commandment, that obviously this was not a rule for all future missionary work, but that it was a prescription for this particular time. This was kind of the first, I guess you could say, missionary adventure of the apostles and the disciples here. It takes on a slightly different form after Christ dies and is resurrected. Um, you see it kind of, again, it, it just it manifests and it works a little differently. But um, there were some things here that Christ encouraged his disciples at this point. This is what you're to take and this is what you're not to take and this is how you're to interact. We talked about how at this point in time that when he's sending them out, he's sending them out into the uh, area of the uh, Israelites and that at this point he was restricting their, um, their movement to Gentiles. Okay, and we, we've kind of mentioned about the fact that Christ had already mentioned, interacted, and done things pertaining to the gospel with Gentiles, but this was for his disciples at this point. And again, that's a, a reason why we talk about it being a temporary thing is because obviously there's going to come a time when they move out from the Jerusalem church, from the Israelite church, and they move into the lands of the Gentiles. And in fact, Paul obviously would become the greatest apostle to the Gentiles. And so you know that it's not a <clears throat> permanent thing there or else there would be no church here. We'd have no Gentile church if it had just stayed with Jerusalem and the Jews. So he has a temporariness of this, but he does kind of foreshadow some things. He holds a very um, kind of strong language about the cities where they go. And uh, we talked about the idea of shaking the dust off your feet. And it was a uh, traditional thing that they did when they went into Gentile lands as a Jew. Um, kind of marking their getting rid of the unholiness of those lands. Here it was used as a mark against those who would not receive the gospel. Okay, So he used it in the same way as a, te a testimony and a, a detesting of um, those people in those cities where they dwelt. And he made the point that it was more tolerable for the lands of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, in the day of judgment than for that city. So we, we spoke briefly about the seriousness of of the gospel and how God views the gospel. And it's not a trivial thing. And it's not something that's just added for your benefit. It's, it's got some weight to it. And so there's a seriousness about it. Now, as we get down to verse 16, <clears throat> which is kind of where we stopped last time, verse 16 through 23, he lays out again some, some kind of prescriptions here, some things about what was going on uh, with these brothers and sisters. But it also has some foreshadowing and some continuing um, kind of commands for us. Now, there's debate about some of these sections of Scripture because they don't know exactly when Christ might have been mentioning or referring to in some of these cases when he's speaking of persecution. 
because we know that most of the persecution that affected the apostles in the church came after Christ's resurrection. So there wasn't as much hardcore persecution as there was afterwards. Okay, and that's where we get everything from the persecution of Rome to the persecution of the Jews. And I mean, Paul's whole acts and uh, in the book of Acts testifies to all that. So here there's kind of a people wonder what he might exactly be talking about. I think it's a couple of different time frames is what he's speaking of. But starting in verse 16, we'll read in Matthew chapter 10. So everybody read along with us. He says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my name's sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father of the child, and the child and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. So in these sections of scripture right here, you have him kind of telling the disciples the manner in which you're being sent out, the mode in which you're being sent out, and what to expect when you get out there. Okay. And again, we kind of, we take some things from this that are foreshadowing and things that we are to definitely hold to today. And there's some things in here that you go, okay, well, maybe that's not exactly the same that we'd be facing now. But starting with that section of scripture, behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now, you know, what's striking about that, okay, and something that I think, you know, we've heard this verse before and we've talked about this verse before and we, you know, people uh, kind of think about it in different ways. But you think about how Christ sent them out. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He didn't say I was sending you out as wolves in the midst of sheep. He said, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So he's making a point there, even in their beginning. He said, I'm not sending you out as a conqueror, in a sense. You know, I'm not sending you out as a wolf. I'm not sending you out as a predatory animal. I'm not sending you out as a devouring, menacing, aggressive aspect or in that kind of modality. He says, instead, I'm sending you forth as sheep which are passive and non-aggressive and that lead or are led instead of leading, okay? And they don't really have any defensive mechanisms. Now, I mean, besides like the fainting goats and all that stuff, they don't really have any defensive mechanisms, okay? So you think about this, how he describes it, you would think, again, as the mentality of man would be, you'd go, well, Jesus, that's kind of dumb. Why are you doing that? Why are you sending people out purposefully, basically like lambs to the slaughter? Because you're sending them out as sheep. And you're not sending them out as sheep to a pasture. 
You're sending them out amongst wolves. So I don't know if any of y'all ever saw like the first Jurassic Park, but you know, you remember the scene where they lower the goat down in T-Rex's cage, okay? So get that mental image in your head and then look at Jesus saying, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. Now, there's some animals, like maybe you get them in packs, like you see a dolphin and you're like, okay, well, it's a dolphin. Seems like a pretty non-aggressive animal and, you know, they're cute and flipper and all that stuff. But you put dolphins together in a pack and they can kill a shark, okay? So there's animals out there that we look at that are like, oh, yeah, they're cute and adorable and, you know, people get tattoos of dolphins or whatever. But, you know, overall, they're pretty passive, except when you get them in crowds. And look at that. They can take on a great white shark and kill it. Well, that's not the case with sheep, okay? You take a pack of sheep and put them in a pack of wolves and all you've done is fed a bunch of wolves, okay? You have not really, they're not better in numbers. They don't stampede. They don't have, I mean, they just, they're there and they're fluffy and then they die. Okay. So that's kind of how they work when you put them amongst wolves. So you would, you again, you ask the question, well, what kind of impact is a bunch of sheep going to have amongst a bunch of wolves? It just seems kind of contrary to what you'd be trying to accomplish. If you're trying to further a kingdom, then normally you don't further it by going out as sheep You go out as wolves. You go out as conquerors. You go out as aggressors. You go out as protagonists in that way. So why do you think he sent us out this way? Well, you know, when you look at how he kind of describes it here, they're not completely defenseless. Okay. Now they're defenseless in their natural sheep nature. Okay. You know, wool really isn't going to tear you up too bad. Okay. But they weren't completely defenseless because he even says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And that in times of trouble, in times of oppression, in times when your back is up against the wall and you're getting persecuted or brought before governors and you're about to get kind of waylaid and you've got to give defense for yourself. He says, don't worry about it. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is going to take care of it for you. Well, we now have some pretty defended sheep, some pretty well defended Sheep. I mean, if we're going to have somebody on our back to protect us in a battle and in a scrape, I can think of nobody better than the Holy Spirit. Works pretty good. Okay. So we do have, they do have some defensive capabilities here. They're given the Holy Spirit to guide them and to lead them. And then even in the times of trouble, when they're again, facing their death or facing their persecution, he says, don't even worry about what to say, because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will speak through you now you know in times past i've heard people try to use that as a reason why you don't study to preach because you know the holy spirit's just going to give it to you but um i just go ahead and try to uh clarify that has nothing to do with what's being spoken of here uh what's being spoken of here is a group of people who in this very temporary and very in context of this time while jesus is here ministry are told that when you are persecuted in these ways don't worry about what to speak that's not a testimony for non-preparation of sermons but here he says that you will be given the holy spirit to speak at those times he also arms them with wisdom okay he says you are to be as wise as serpents so we know that god will tell us and promise us like in james and other places that wisdom is the chiefest thing. If you go back over into Proverbs and the Psalms, 
Proverbs is all a, a, a kind of, it allegorizes about wisdom being the fruitful and the blessed woman and uh, the unwisdom or unwise, the anti-wisdom, if you can do it in that way, being the harlot and the woman that will lead to destruction. So he's always encouraging his son, go after wisdom, pursue wisdom, get wisdom, get understanding, because in those things you have, you know, kind of completely, completeness and prosperity and protection and, you know, life in this. Here he gives them wisdom. He says, I want you to be wise as serpents. God will promise us in James, if you pray for wisdom, you won't be upbraided. God will not get on to you for praying for wisdom. He'll give it to you liberally. Well, I can tell you that you don't, in a lot of situations, need anything else but wisdom. Okay? And what I mean is, is that there's a lot of situations in life that you could have simply avoided the problems... If you had just had a little bit of wisdom in how to deal with it, you don't need any kind of aggressive wolf type instruments to be able to get out of the situation. You don't need any kind of fancy tricks or anything like that. If you were just wise in how to deal with the situation, you could get out of it. And I think that's kind of how God or how Christ is kind of equipping his ministers in this way as he's saying, I want you to be wise as serpents. And that's not in the way that we normally have a negative connotation about the serpent, okay? But the serpent, as God describes him in, the, in Genesis and in other accounts, is he was more cunning than any other animal, okay? And, of course, we can see this, too. I mean, the things, if you just look around just naturally, I mean, you have rattlesnakes out there in the grass. They get in the leaves. You can't see them, okay? They're very cunning in how they deal with things. Some of them have little, uh, little mechanisms of attracting, you know, wise ways of attracting prey to them, you know, before they kill them and eat them and all that fun stuff. But here you have him kind of giving the idea, I want you to be wise as serpents. And that's not saying that you are to be cunning in an evil, perverse, or divisive kind of way. He's just saying that I want you to be wise in how you interact with everyone. Okay? It says you are to be wise as serpents. So that wisdom, especially if we're talking about wisdom from God, again, that's a pretty powerful weapon. In fact, as we said, if you just had wisdom as your only weapon, in like 99% of cases, it's going to come out in a favorable way, okay? Just by having wisdom, knowing what to do, having a little more insight and depth into the situation instead of just acting gutturally and on a uh, kind of an instinctive basis, okay? So that's a pretty powerful weapon for him to have. And in correlation with that, he says that in how you deal with some of these things, like when you face persecution, he says if you're not received in that one city, will flee to another city. Okay? So he's giving them kind of a wise way of dealing with some of these persecutions and issues they're going to face with. Instead of saying, I'm going to give you wisdom of how to argue the best and how to debate the best and how to trick the system and game the system to be able to get out of it what you want. He says, it's a very simple option. If you're not received in that city, just get up and leave. Well, that solves a problem right there, doesn't it? How many of us have always been told as children in middle school, high school, elementary school, whatever it is, that all you have to do in a bad situation is walk away? You just walk away from the situation, problem solved, right? Say, well, I just couldn't help myself but get into that fight. And we always say, no, you can just walk away. That's always your option. 
Well, I had to get into that argument that ultimately led to me saying those things that landed me in detention. Well, you could have walked away. You could have avoided that situation. Yeah, but they would have been right and they would have gotten the upper hand. Who cares? You, you would have not been in the consequence that you are in at this point. And he says, you're to be wise as serpents, but you're to be as doves in your dealings. Okay. So wise as serpents, you have the wisdom of God, you have the wisdom directing you, you have the wisdom of how to deal with these situations. But when you're in those situations, I want you acting as a dove. Well, that's, again, a very, a very telling characteristic of what a follower of Jesus Christ is to be. Okay, And we kind of mentioned this this morning with Hebrews, that you're to be peaceable with all men now you can make arguments about well other people weren't peaceable with me that's fine but you are still to be peaceable it doesn't give you an out it's not well they did this to me first okay well now i can no you're still to be peaceable it doesn't change for you so here he says you're to be harmless as doves in your interactions So you're wise in how to deal with them, and then you're harmless as doves in your interaction. Well, again, that falls back into that, an animal being described here that has no defensive capabilities. Okay, you don't hear people getting mauled by doves, do you? Okay, unless you're like in one of those weird birds movies or whatever from Hitchcock, okay? And then maybe, I don't know if there were some doves in there. They all looked like pretty angry birds, and it's a very freaky movie. Um, but I don't really hear, I hadn't really read on uh, line or wherever where recently, you know, like a person was mauled to death by a pack of doves, okay? It's always been used as the symbol of peace, hasn't it? Because it just, it the doves prov- kind of promote that peaceable nature that's why around christmas times you have your doves on your christmas tree and doves are a gift given as a means of describing the peace and goodwill that's to come to all men so doves are using that way well christ says that you're you're <laughs> i hate to use this word but it's like your spirit animal okay in this case is a dove all right, you know, people get into this thing now about spirit animals. What's your spirit animal? What's your spirit animal? Okay, well, for a, uh, for a Christian, your spirit animal is a dove, okay? That's how we interact. That's how we deal with people. That's how we associate with people. How are people perceiving us as individuals? Are we aggressive? Are we mean? Are we hard-hearted? Are we abusive? Or are we peaceful or harmless? As doves. Now, again, in the kind of macho man uh, point of view, okay, we're not supposed to be described as doves. You know, you go work out and get ripped so you can be the biggest and the baddest and the most awesome and everything, and everything's about machismo and how awesome you are. Well, being characterized as a dove doesn't necessarily fit very well with that. In fact, that would almost be a slanderous thing, okay? Oh, you ain't nothing but a you ain't nothing but a cream puff. You ain't nothing but a okay. So that, that's the the world's view of what man and manhood is doesn't line up with that. It's all about how much more awesome can we be? How much more powerful can we be? How can we gain the upper hand? I always argue that from a biblical standpoint, things like exercise don't profit. Okay, so. Uh, you know, that's why I don't do it. And I've seen people die while exercising. And so I just, I'm staying away from it for that reason. 
So, but he says there is a manner in which you go about and how you enter into these situations. And they were not to fight their way through, okay? He didn't say, take swords and go cut a line from me to Jesus, okay? In fact, he explicitly told them no swords, no weapons, no offensive weapons in that way. You're going like sheep. You're going like doves. And you're not going to a pasture, and you're not going to a pleasant land. You're actually going into a pack of wolves. And I'm sending you out there with nothing that's going to protect you from a natural standpoint. He said, but I am sending you with the Holy Ghost. And I am sending you with wisdom. And I'm commanding you that when you go in amongst these wolves, that you're to go into them and be harmless. There's so many examples of Christians not portraying that harmless nature that you can see on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, television, whatever it may be. And we have to continue to go back and ask ourselves, well, what does Christ say we are to do? I know that's like something on repeat that I've been saying for the last six to seven to eight to nine months. What did Christ say? Well, Christ said we're to be harmless. Well, then all other arguments for the contrary have to be thrown out. All of the reasons why we've concocted, why we can't be that way and why we shouldn't be that way and why self-preservation and all these things that we come up with, everything that we kind of throw in there, we have to set out to the side and go, okay, but that's not what Christ said. So we have to delete all of these answers and all these contrived arguments we've come up with and go, okay, starting with what Christ said, Christ says we're to be harmless as doves. Now, how do I implement that into my life? How do, I how do I implement that into my conversations on Twitter? How do I implement that into my conversations and postings on Facebook? How do I work my goofy social media life into what Christ actually said? Because we have to follow what Christ said. Not what whoever has the most Instagram followers reposted a picture of, okay? So these offensive weapons that he has talked about, you know, we talk about the being harmless as doves, being wise as serpents. There's one kind of thing, one kind of offensive, or I guess you could say, um, well, yeah, you could use it that way, an offensive weapon that he did give or a gifting that he did give to these people and told them was the thing that they could do when they went into these areas. So he tells you, you know, you're not to take this, not to take this, not to take this, not to take this. And when you go, you're going as doves and you're going to sheep, okay? You're thinking about passive, non-aggressive um, kind, of, kind of animals. Well, he did tell them, though, that the one thing you were to do besides healing, okay, which, you know, would fall under a, you know, if you're, if you're talking about killing people with kindness, as people would say, I guess you could say that was an offensive weapon. But what he's throwing out there, though, is he's saying that when you go into a place, then you can, right, let your peace rest in that place. So he gave them peace as an offensive weapon in these cities. When you go to a place, then you let your peace remain there. When you go to this place, you preach the gospel, which is often referred to as the gospel of peace. Okay? And we spoke a little bit about this at the nursing home last week. 
you know, we're at a time in December when we're celebrating Christmas and the Christmas story as told by Charlie Brown, you know, when he stands up there on the stage, all right, as he may, he reads off the story from Luke when the angels appear to the, to the uh, shepherds by night and they make the proclamation, behold, peace on earth and goodwill towards men, okay? That gospel of peace is, is wrapped up in the mission and the work of Jesus Christ. Okay? And so when, when Christ tells his disciples to go out to these cities and to preach the gospel, to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that kingdom is a kingdom of peace. It is a kingdom of peace. Peace between God and man and peace between man and man. Okay? That is, again, one of the defining characteristics of the kingdom of God that we are a part of. It was a place where you could find rest. Well, that same word rest is attributed with peace. You can find a peace in there, a rest, a cessation from works, if you're talking about salvation, or a cessation from hostilities. A place that in Revelations and Isaiah and other places it's described, you know, where the lion will lay down with the lamb. Okay, and as you know, we've put it in 21st century, dogs and cats will lay to get, you know, all this stuff. And, and so you have this picture, though, of the two animals that used to be aggressors and protagonists, antagonists, lying down together in one place. Okay, it's a description in that, and not directly, but it is a descriptor of the kingdom of God, a place where people who previously would be antagonists and protagonists against each other come together and lie down in peace. We're unified by the same Christ, unified by his sacrifice. We're unified in our sinfulness, depravity, and we're unified in our salvation and deliverance. So the gospel of peace as described here, and that's what he says, like if you go over to Luke chapter 10, Verses 5 and 6, he'll say, And into whatsoever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And that phrase, peace be upon you, that actually is a common phrase still used in the Middle East. It's something that is, is a, it's just a phrase that they used when you would go into one another's house. And so here, though, Christ is giving them that as a weapon. You have this ability to go into someone's house and bring peace. We already mentioned the Isaiah, kind of the reference to Isaiah, but Isaiah chapter 9 and 6 and 7, we have the famous Christmas verse. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even for forever. Now what's beautiful about that is there was no end to the increase of his government. Okay, and you can again, you can attribute that to his kingdom, his reign, his rule. It was an ever expanding, ever increasing, eternal, everlasting. There was no end to it. But the other thing that's attributed to his government is the Peace, the shalom, the blessing of peace that Christ brings. And he says, here's the beautiful thing about it. There is no boundary to it. There is not an end point to it. 
There is not, well, you have reached the point of maximum peacefulness, okay? And I'm all out, all right? I have no more. Sorry. For the first 100,000 million, y'all got peace. The next, I'm sorry, we're out. I ran out, all right? It's like the new iPhone 10. Sorry, we're on back order for peace. No, he says there's no end to it. And again, I think what, what I marvel at the most about that is that this is described in Isaiah, in Matthew, in Luke as a defining characteristic. Again, I know we've probably used that phrase 50 bajillion times in the last nine months. But there are things that classify us as Christians and classify his kingdom. And so, therefore, there's really, really important for us. If you were asked, what does it mean to be in the kingdom of God? What is the thing that the kingdom of God brings? Well, it brings peace. What is the prevailing message of the gospel? Peace. What is the prevailing characteristic of Christ and Christians? Peace. He's called the Prince of Peace. That's one of his names. We can't focus on, well, he's called the Holy God, and there's our triune Godhead, and he's called the Mighty God, and there is his omnipotence, and the Everlasting Father, well, there is eternality, and all these things, and then go, oh, yeah, and the Prince of Peace, well, that's nice. That sounds cute. That's going to go well on a Christmas card. No, that was one of the primary names given to him in Isaiah and one of, if not the only name that was talked about when the angels announced was called the Proto-Evangelion. When the angels come down and they say, behold, today is born Jesus. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. So peace is not a trivial Christmas card thing when we're talking about Jesus, Christians, and his kingdom. It's actually like the primary thing we are to embody. When you look with Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9 of the Beatitudes, where we talked about this before already, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Well, guess what? When we as proclaiming children of God don't act as peacemakers, what does that say about us? You say, well, I'm calling. I know I'm a child of God. Well, but God says that those who are called the sons of God are peacemakers. So if you're not living up to one, don't try to be proclaiming the other. Okay. Don't walk around with your sticker on your on your chest that says, I'm a son of God, while you're not acting as a peacemaker. It's just this that goes into everything that we've been talking about. Don't go on and say you're a champion of, you know, of of whatever God's basis for marriage while you're out there committing adultery and sleeping around with a bunch of people. You don't really practice what you say you believe. Okay, don't say you're pro-life while you're trying to get your mistress to have an abortion. Those don't match up. Don't say you're a son of God if you're not being a peacemaker. It doesn't match up. It has to be a defining characteristic about us. And in Romans chapter 5, we've talked about this because Brother Charles has been through Romans recently. But, you know, he, that's the peace with God aspect that, 
Christ embodied in the most important one. You know, you can't have one without the other people try to talk about which heart can you, I mean, cart can you get before the horse? Well, you know, you can't have any of the other things if you don't have peace with God in the beginning. In Romans chapter 5, he makes the point that therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So part of the gospel of peace that we preach is first and foremost the gospel of the peace obtained by Jesus Christ through faith. And so you enter into that through the grace and the faith, and that is the first step that has to come. You can't be a peacemaker. You can't exhibit peacefulness. You can't be as doves and you can't be as sheep if you have not already had peace made with God. Okay? So that's first and foremost. But the good news about that is the proclamation of the work that Jesus Christ has done to enable everything else. That's part of the gospel. That's why when, you, when we've been looking through here with Christ preaching the kingdom of God and repent and be baptized, you know, those two together, they're, they're tied. Okay? You can't have one without the other. So he makes a point that we have made, we are proclaiming this peace, peace with God, peace in resting, peace between men. Which I think is an important one that we need to grab, especially in today's time, because all you can do is just see how no matter which side or where you're at, it's like the entire world has lost the ability to have any kind of conversation without an immediate kind of vitriolic response, okay, with name calling and everything else. But what we see with the gospel and as we embody it as Christians, he tells us like over in areas like in Ephesians, you know, he made a point to point out to the early church at Ephesus, okay, which was made up a lot of Gentiles, okay, but there was also Jews there. And he was making a point to them as he made a point to the Jerusalem church, you know, Paul and Peter and Barnabas went back to the Jerusalem church to make a point for the Gentile church. And as he's describing all this and he's talking about these things in Ephesians, he goes into the say, God, Christ, who sometimes us were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Now, what's being described there is Christ's work on the cross and what he did broke down the partition that existed between Jews and everybody else, okay? And he's making a point that is contained in the law because part of the law was there are things that make you clean and things that make you unclean. And so there was a justifiable case for that, but they had taken it to an extreme and they had gotten very racist with it. And we saw this just a little early on when you look in the, in the Galatian letter, Paul is having to rebuke Peter because he's hanging out with Gentiles. But then when Jews come around, he didn't want to hang out with Jews. I mean, Gentiles, because he wanted to make sure the Jews knew that I was kosher and cool. And, you know, I wasn't hanging out with those dirty Gentiles, even though I just before, you know, all this kind of weird, goofy, racist bigotry stuff there and Paul had to rebuke him as he says to his face here as he's writing to the Ephesian letter he says I want to just refresh y'all's minds 
on a beautiful thing that Christ accomplished on the cross. Not only was it peace between God and man, but it was also peace between man and man. That I broke down that dividing wall. That there is no more such thing as Jew, Gentile, barbarian, Greek, Scythian, whatever he throws out there in later verses. But here he says there is no more division. He says there's nothing that makes you any different or better in the eyes of God than anybody else. It's not the church you grew up in. It's not the background you have. It's definitely not the color of your skin, your creed, or whichever country you hail from. He says, that is done, okay? That has been broken down. You know, you get this picture if you lived anywhere in close proximity to the 80s of when, you know, Ronald Reagan stands there and says, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, and boom, you know, they're slinging hammers and tearing down that wall. No more partition between East and West Germany. There was a reunification, as it's described. Well, here you have him saying these two people are made one into one new man. And the picture that we get there, when we talk about the body of Christ, sometimes we look at it and we say, oh, yes, the body is the local church body. And we all are the hands and feet and the toes and the appendixes. And we've done, you know, all that before and talked about all that, how no one is is any greater or smaller. And Christ actually says that in pertaining to his body, that the smaller things actually get the greater value because God has more importance on the small things. And we've discussed that in terms of gallbladders and appendixes and et cetera. So we won't go back through that, but... What we want to hit on here is that he's not just talking about the church in the local context. That here in these sections of scriptures, he's making a point that this new body of Christ encompasses every racial, creedal, whatever divide. And that Christ has broken that down. And that he didn't just break it down and said, okay, now the gates are open. Y'all go do what you want to do. He said, no, I've broken it down. And then I've taken both of you and I've smashed you together. And I've made you one man. Say, well, I didn't want that. Well, tough. Okay. Christ did it and you can't undo it. Christ made this distinction and you can't undo that. Christ didn't say, okay, well, now, if you want to interact Jews and Gentiles, y'all are free to do that. Or if you want to be a part of whatever, go ahead if you feel like it. But if y'all like keeping this kind of hegemony thing where y'all all are separated and you're over here, Jews, and you're over here, Gentiles, well, you can just keep doing that. It's not a big deal. He said, no, guys, here's the new truth. You are all one body in Christ. And just like you can't chop off the right arm and the left arm and say, well, I'd rather just have my right arm or just have my left arm and work just the same He said, you're all part of one body and you have to work together. You can't be the brain over here and the arms over here and y'all acting independently. You have to be together. And if you think you can do without me, then I will make your gallbladder explode and try to kill you. Okay. And prove to you how much you need it. Or I'll make your appendix burst and try to kill you and prove how much you need it. Or I'll let you chop off that pinky toe and just see how off balance you are. That there is no cutting out or away of this body that he has made together. So he has made peace with all men. Okay, And again, when you look at what is described in the proto-evangelion when he's preaching that, when the angels are preaching that to the shepherds and making that case, peace on earth. Well, what is he talking about? Well, these are the things he's talking about. These are the things that Christ brought. 
When you look at that and then you flip all the way back to when Christ or when God makes that covenant with Abraham that we have been dealing with over and over and over again through Genesis and Exodus. And we've been talking about how God tells Abraham, you will be a blessing to all nations. And we've said that has always foreshadowed the work of Jesus Christ that was to come. Well, now take that little covenant, fast forward a few thousand years, and then drop yourself in the middle of a field at night with angels saying, peace has finally arrived on earth. Fast forward a little farther to when Paul is preaching to the Ephesians here, and he says, it has happened. All people have been blessed in Christ. You can have Jews, Gentiles, barbarians, Greeks, black, white, Asian, Arab, whatever it may be, and they're all making up the one body of Jesus Christ. Peace with men. So that I could walk in to a Christian believing group in Saudi Arabia, in Egypt, in China, in Russia, wherever it may be, wherever I find the people of God believing in the same Jesus that I do. And I can find another piece of his body. That's something that we preach all the time where he says, I made a people of every kindred, nation, tongue, and tribe on the face of the earth. And it also ties into our peacemaker status and peace characteristic that we're supposed to embody. That's why we deal with people the way we deal with them or should deal with them. Because he has his people everywhere. How, how do we feel about attacking our own body? Have you ever hit your thumb with a hammer? It's not a lot of fun, is it? Okay. Have you ever damaged yourself purposefully or not purposefully? It's not fun, is it? Well, so he's making a point that whether you're in your local context, whether you're in an international context... That the mind frame of the child of God is to be one of a peacemaker who views the world through the eyes of God as the images of God with the idea that his people are everywhere. And that's my arm over in China. That's my foot over in Saudi Arabia. That's my left pinky toe over in Russia, wherever it may be. So then that helps to kind of separate us out from the large persuasion of this world, of this nation, of social media and everything that just wants to push you into another heated, hate-filled debate, okay? Where you're just lambasting people for who they are. Whether that be, well, they just come from Russia and therefore all Russians are bad and they're trying to corrupt our political system and they all got to be punished. Or whether we're lambasting Iran or Iranians and everyone, well, no, there's people there we always have to keep in mind there's people there who are god's people where we distance ourselves from the middle east and say well you know they're over there blowing each other up look how they can't get it together what an awful place yeah they're blowing each other up and they're blowing up our feet they're blowing up our hands so we should seek their peace we should seek their fulfillment. We should seek them understanding and knowing the gospel. We should seek all of these things line back up and should change our perspective on how we deal with other people. 
And it goes, and, and, and we're talking big picture things here because we're talking the big racial divides and things like that that are hot topics, but that gets right back down to us at church, at school, at work, wherever it may be, how we interact with other people, how we deal with other people, how we interact with our coworkers or our bosses or those under us. You know, it's really hard and convicting sometimes to deal with people, especially if you're dealing with them from the point of view of, oh, well, this very well could be one of God's people. And this could be my ring finger that I'm wanting to strangle at this point. You know, it just gives us a little different perspective on how to deal with things, how we respect other people. We've talked about this briefly when we're talking about the Imago Day and the image of God and things. And we'll get down to that later because we've got to be done for this afternoon. But, you know, we... We as the children of God, if we believe in Jesus Christ, if we follow Jesus Christ and we profess to be his people, then peace is our name. Okay, that is what describes us. You know, we've been talking about how love is one of our defining characteristics. Compassion is one of our defining characteristics. Well, these are not like three different pieces of the pie. They all kind of work together. Okay. It's through love and compassion that we work out our peacemaking abilities, okay? You know, I know there's kind of the idea of, uh, you know, speak softly but carry a big stick. Well, you know, in the Christian kingdom, the idea is that the way you bring about peace is from love and compassion, okay? That's why he sent them out as sheep and as doves. So it's important for us to grab that, especially as in, in this time, in, in the time of Christmas when we talk about this and everybody sings songs about it and there's cute little movies about it and all these things. You know, this is not just a cutesy little movie type thing for us. This is life. This is us. This is who we are. We are peacemakers. So that should define us. Now, it's hard to be a peacemaker if we ourselves aren't at peace. Amen? Amen. So we ourselves have to be at peace. We ourselves have to be at peace with what God has done. We ourselves have to rest in the peace of Jesus Christ and what he has done. We ourselves have to be peaceable in our own dealings and interactions. So I hope these things have been beneficial. Like I said, we'll try to get through the rest of it um, next time. But hopefully the Lord will bless us and help us and convict us to work more in honoring his memory and his work and what he commanded us to do. You know, as we've said before, you know, as, and we'll get down to in just a little bit. You know, these things are not optional. These are not things that he says are good characteristics to have if you want to be a more well-rounded individual or an enlightened being. He says, no, this is what it means to be a follower of me. So I hope we will embody that. May God bless us too.